Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Coves, welcome to Action City. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. Guess what will not be happening on this live stream? Gracie Buxton will not be requesting to get in. Oh, why? Because she's at Camp Shiloh for eighth grade orientation this morning. And oh I'm gosh, assuming camp. they took their telephones. They better have taken their telephones. Camp like nobody Shiloh. needs a phone at Camp Shiloh. Wait, we went to Camp Shiloh. Oh, no, that was Camp Goddard in eighth grade. Or wait, which? Yeah, Shiloh. still go. I don't, we didn't go to Camp Shiloh, but they go to they go to Camp Shiloh Wait, for some leadership. Isn't it an overnight? No, no. Just I wish I wish they were going for like a week. I wish they went took oh. the whole eighth grade together as a. Oh my gosh, class, we always went to camp overnight as a grade. For they s- go overnight, but like later in the year. Yeah, this yeah, is just six, for like this yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. We did it like sixth, seventh, and eighth yeah. grade. So sorry, was, Gracie, you're missing out. I remember in fun. eighth grade, this one guy who's super cute was going to ask me to be his girlfriend, and one of my friends talked him out of it. Uh huh. Then um, that friend probably thought he was super cute and wanted to go out with him. Exactly. There was a lot of making out at, at like, we went to St. Crispin's. We, yeah, we, Saint, that's where oh I made gosh. out with all the boys. St. Crispin's. I actually went to summer camp there and I loved it. Well, it was I, the best summer camp Gracie, ever. They all want to go to camp next summer. Maybe I'll just send them to St. Crispin's. Oh my gosh, send them to St. Crispin's. It's like, it's super late. Like, okay, because, you know, I did Kanakuk and I know we got a lot of people who love Kanakuk. Mm-hmm. It was a little intense for me. Like, I didn't want to ring a bell for Jesus. And yeah. not that, that mm-hmm. you know, I love Jesus. Gracie but mentioned she wanted to go and I probably said no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, the guy who ended up molesting all those boys was my brother's counselor. Thankfully, my brother did not get molested. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like, not goes uh, runs deep for you. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, do like, it mm-hmm. just lots of red flags. So, St. Christmas. Oh my gosh, St. Christmas. And it's is boys great. and girls. Like Gracie wanted to yeah, yeah, it's boys. co-ed camp. Oh, and I had a boyfriend every summer. They were oh, all so sweet. Nice. Yeah. They're I mean, it's so like you dance to like Queen. Oh. It, they have a dance. We'd had a talent show. It's it's Episcopalian, so it's not I mean It's not hardcore hit show. Not the head, hardcore. All the gotcha. songs, like oh, all the songs. I could like sing them. They're oh. so one you should do St. Crispin's. Okay. Actually, like I want to send my kids to St. Crispin's because I met kids like I was maybe one of two or three kids who had gone to Cassidy. So that's kinda nice. I want them to go with people they don't know. Yeah, it was like, a lot. Yeah. Some kids were from Seminole. Like some kids were from towns with one stop sign, like but then some kids were from Tulsa, Ardmore. Like it was real fun. Very okay. fun. Okay, I like Highly that. recommend. So Camp Shiloh this morning. Yeah. Let's see. It's oh. really we're going back to school this week. Hoffman's starting his very first day at Cassidy on I think Thursday that's kind morning. Of my, I think that's I I'll yeah, give what's it my your peak? peak. Well It's going to happen. Your peak is going to happen, I guess. I know. I just he he is so excited oh. because we had I guess my pit was last week was our last week. It was his last week at Westminster at the child. The oh, I CDC. can remember how sad I was and there last week there. We've been there. I mean, well, we've been in a couple different programs within Westminster. We were at Kingdom Kids, which is their three day. And then we switched over to the CTC, which is their five day. And um, that was a year ago. So he was there for a year. Wait, no, two years ago. I can't remember. It feels like it's been a lot. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, we loved. I mean, listen, not all Mother's Day outs are perfect. And I don't think I'm we allowed can't to call, call it, it that Mother's anymore, Day can out. We? Yeah, not all daycare or whatever you want to nothing's call it. Per- bottom line is nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. Serious. But I will say his teachers were wonderful and they made him, I felt like they saw him for who he is and they really, I think he felt very confident there. I think that they did a wonderful job and 
um, disciplining and, you know, it just... But still having fun and they've created yeah. community. Yes. The Halloween and, parade. Do they still do the Halloween parade? Well, it's Oh, it was COVID. COVID. I know. God, I, I, the, my, the pictures from the Halloween parade were my favorite. Yeah, we actually skipped Halloween last year because... We did too, actually. Yeah, I know. Which he's, he was too young to realize we sort of skipped it, yeah. but it, it happened. This year. This year we'll do it. There'll be a parade at Cassidy too. It's so much fun. Oh my gosh, I'm so... Well, and that's the thing I'm so excited for. And okay, I will say I'm trying not to project my experience of Cassidy onto... It's really hard. Husband, <laughs> and that's what I think is going to be the challenge, right? It's like... My grandparents' day will not be his grandparents' day. And my, oh, shoot, it's not 89er day because that is not PC. No, now it's called. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry if I offended anybody. It is now called Oklahoma Day, I Oklahoma think, Day, maybe? okay. I, I, um, yeah, that yeah, has a new name. Anyways, right. all these things that they do, which are super nostalgic for me, I need to not, like, I don't need to tell him about my experience. Like, I just want him to have his experiences. It's kind of like... You're so far ahead of where I was. You're doing such well, a good okay, job. Well, okay, this is what I'm... I'm saying this into the universe so it actually happens because I think it would so easily be like, oh, well, when I was here, I had Mrs. Roberson in red. And when I was here, I had... My dad still talks about Mrs. Tuck. Okay, I mean, the man is 75 years old. I got a Mrs. Tuck story, no joke, last week. No, no. On, like, Sunday, told me about how if you didn't know that... The direct object took the whatever, whatever. She used to make you go out into the hall and yell that whatever the direct object. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The, I know where it takes a direct yes, object, yes, whatever yes. it was, and then you had to stand in the corner. Oh, and I was like, well, yeah. Dad, they don't do that anymore. But okay, but I mean, literally, I'm not joking. Four days ago, I got that. Well, story. And that's <laughs> the thing is when we did our tour for Cassidy. You know, I'm dyslexic and I'm very open about it. It's definitely a part of who I am. And whenever I meet another dyslexic person, I feel like I like have a have special like a place little, for yeah. them. But um, when I, growing up, you know, obviously it was the 90s. I don't think that they knew what they know obviously now about, you know, the way dyslexic brains work. And I remember feeling a little alienated in my dyslexia in lower school at Cassidy. And it's not anything that I necessarily think Cassidy was doing wrong. I, I just, think it was the time. Yeah, the it time. It was the time. They didn't know and as much. All of the fears that I had for, you know, because dyslexia is hereditary. So the probability of one of my children having it is it's there. And so all of my fears kind of based around that were like they had completely they had answered your yes, questions. Yeah. Figured it out. So I think that that's it's kind of a dual pit and peak in the sense of like, I don't want to project my experience onto Huffman yet. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. You don't know whose teacher is yet, do you? Yes, I do. We found out. So <laughs> thankfully, there's a what mom. What color is he in? Does Don't they have colors? Oh, shoot. I forgot to. I think he's lilac. Um, oh, right. I think when you're, that's the, where the three-year-olds go. In lilac. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Um, one of the moms who her son is Huffman's age, and we knew that they were going to be either in the same class or not. She like texted me, was like, they posted the list and like, Yay. blah, blah, blah. So I was so excited. Um, and that's another thing. Like, I'm excited for new friendships with other parents. I'm excited. Actually, Susan Silver was just telling me, she was like, some of my best friends of life came from her son's parents and his grade. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this kind of next step in life for like Jeff and I and Huffman, like our whole family. It's just exciting. I mean, it is sad that he's officially no longer a baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're, you know, he's three, he's not going to be a toddler for too much longer. And yeah, so that part is sad, but but it's the primary is literally the happiest place on earth. Well, I loved, I loved primary. I, I, I loved just, everything about it. And the fact that he's so excited, yeah. like it just makes me. He was so cute when he came in the store the other day, and he was wearing his Cyclones T-shirt. Oh, 
Sammy the Cyclone. Sammy the Cyclone. Very, he's like a celebrity oh. in our house. So, yeah. But what about you? What's your pet? What's your peak? Well, I guess my peak is that everybody's going back to school. I mean, I, I, I say that. I, mean, I don't know. Oh, it's kind of both. I don't, I don't like the ex- whole schedule situation and getting everybody ready. I mean, I still don't have the medical forms filled out. The books aren't here. I, I you know, you guys know me. I'm, I'm not really totally on it. Actually, like, but wait, they okay, have, yeah, I don't have their immunization records. Okay. I don't have their medical forms. I, I don't have any books. That. I don't have their school supplies. They're going back to school in 48 hours. I need to ask, though, like, does Huffman actually have to get a physical? I mean, he's... I don't know. I can't remember. I It'll like- say like when you fill out the forms. But so okay. I, the pit is the work that it takes to get them back to school. It's as if they've never been to school before. Okay. Right. Like we took all the uniforms to get hemmed, you know. The school supplies, I finally smartened up and I make my kids now save the school supplies from the year before and I put them in a place where I remembered. Okay, Wait, you don't go get them new binders? Binders don't hold well, up no, for- Well, no, I do. But when they come home and like things haven't even been taken out of the package for the entire oh, year- I I'm see like, what okay. you're saying. So I had a drawer in Gracie's bedside table and I made her put all the sort of unused and like slightly used school supplies in the drawer. That's smart. And then last night I went up there, I got everything out of the drawer, I put it in a bag and I was like, I'm not buying these things again. I go, that that's it. So I'm not buying a whole nother set of markers and another set of um, colored pencils that they, they've used this much of. So the prepping of anything is always my least favorite part of whatever it is. Like the yeah. tasks, the lists, the forms, the, I do not excel in those environments. But just the excitement of their, you know, getting back together with their friends and being with their teachers. When I dropped Gracie off this morning, we took all the stuff upstairs and yeah. I saw all their teachers. And so I think, and getting started in sports again. I mean, right, right, right. All that stuff's so fun. All that stuff is and really like, fun. Who got cute over the summer? Like, oh, who go, like, oh my got gosh. highlights or Wait, who? Really yeah. Maybe one of the peaks was last night. They had the eighth grade back to school party. And fun. my friend Jasmine is like literally the most fun girl you'll meet and she makes all this like party planning look easy and she's like oh let's have an olympic theme party and i was like oh i'll help i did nothing okay <laughs> i show up she owns a t-shirt company so she like a it's a kind of an apparel company it's not really just t-shirts it's called calamity jane's she's always making t-shirts for the kids so she made like an aviator nation themed t-shirt for the whole grade fine it was at dbat it was like Four, she divided them into four teams. They did all these different like games. They had like Fun. Olympic themed medals and like Olympic themed cookies, and they had pizza. Every kid had a blast. Fun. You would have thought that like they were too old for it. Nope, they loved it. They totally got well, into it. So that was so great seeing them all back. together I don't think they'll again. ever be too old for it because even senior year after you graduate, when there's that party where you like play oh, yes. kickball yes, and yes, volleyball, they lock you in. Uh-huh. Yeah, like that was still like one of my favorite nights. So I think they're gonna. I th- I think it's going to be a great year. So, oh, that's so I'm ex- fun. I guess I'm excited. I, okay, so I will say my mom did a really good job. She and mind you, we couldn't order online then, so like I don't know how it is now. I, but like we literally, she like loaded up all three of us. We had our lists like in our hand. That's what we normally do. We go to Target. And we do the whole. We went to Office we to Depot today, yeah. or Office Max, and she like you know we each got to pick all of our stuff and all of our colors. I know. We'll be there tonight and, doing that. If anyone sees me at Target tonight, that's what I'm doing. I love that though. Honestly, like I, I think too. I kind of messed like the up. The list is so long now. I mean, it's ridiculous, and and they have it like twenty five different ways, and they leave things off of it, so it like sort of gets. I just need to not focus so much on the actual detail and just throw some things in the basket. I think though, letting your kids pick their own stuff though is like kind of important. It's pretty cute. But now they do this thing where you can like order the things in advance, and they show up at school. No girls do that because they yeah, want you want the pretty stuff. They want all the you know cute stuff. Yeah, maybe Huffman would do that, but yeah, but probably not Campbell. 
No, because I mean, it's so fun to be like, okay, biology is lavender and all of the stuff for biology is lavender. And then English oh, yeah. is pink and that all of the fun. stuff for pink. And then Spanish is orange and all the stuff is Gracie orange. Gracie and Kate usually make, Kate has one of those like label printer makers. things. Oh. No, like the printer that prints out like all the stick stickers basically. Oh, cool. And they make labels for everything. So every binder has like a fancy little label and a different font. And so oh. I haven't done that yet this year. See, oh I gosh. feel like we would do, well, I mean, we didn't have stuff like that, but we had like would do paint pens. So like biology it was like the orange paint pen that coordinated with the orange binder and oh, like you've taken it one step farther yeah and like the, the uh like the three ring or no no the like squirrely the composition yeah yeah, oh, they, yeah they were all all the same subject was all the well, same, same color. color and i'm not even that that organized maybe i should recommend that to my kids. my locker was never clean oh the locker by the time they get to eighth grade, thank God they're not like decorating their locker with a with a chandelier. There's no rug, there's no chandelier, yeah, there's I no saw, lights, wait, there's no pictures, I, the way, there's no I, succulents. When thank we God. went through middle school, I saw all the was locker. it not hilarious? It's well, the fifth grade is totally decorated. decorated. And the eighth graders like they can barely get the books in the locker. Oh my gosh, I have so many like random memories of like we all had these like butterflies in our locker, and one of the boys stole all of them, and it was like this big thing. We went to Mrs. Larson, and oh. like then we found all of them in the bottom. You know how the lockers yes, have the uh, one the little. Drawer. Yeah. at the bottom yeah uh-huh. yep. oh my so. gosh okay well we're dedicated to not dragging this on no forever yes, sorry. we have to get to I have to go up to eighth grade orientation now so I'm, we're moving on with I know day. actually yeah my babysitter is like come home <laughs> okay so. you guys we're so excited about our guest this week as artistic director of Oklahoma Contemporary Jeremiah Matthew Davis serves in a key leadership role as the institution moves to its new central location in downtown Oklahoma City A native of Oklahoma, Davis leads the strategic plan for the growth of artistic programming and studio school, piloting innovative programming that will remain the core of the institution's work in its new home. Since joining Oklahoma Contemporary in 2016, Jeremiah has overseen forward-looking curatorial programming, including Ed Ruscha, OKLA, Tatiana Fazlali Zeta, Oklahoma is Black, and Jeffrey Gibson, Speak to Me, and performance, including the Art and Tech and Tech and Women in Performance series, while continuing and strengthening staple youth and adult education programs. Prior to joining Oklahoma Contemporary, Jeremiah focused on immersive theatrical production, working with some of the most accomplished artists in the country, including Tony Award-winning designer Christine Jones, Sleep No More producer Randy Weiner, international composer Andalee Kumaloho, and emerging installation artist Cosmo White. He has collaborated with leading theatrical institutions ranging from the Woodshed Collective, New York Theater Workshop, and St. Anne's Warehouse as a dramaturge, writer, consultant, producer, and technical director. His work in this sphere has been consistently grounded in education, including teaching roles at New York University, Barnard College, and Columbia University, and is continuing tenure as faculty member at the Todorf Conservatory. Jeremiah holds a graduate degree in dramaturgy from Columbia University, where he was Dean's Fellow. He studied theater and social science at Bennington College. Jeremiah, welcome to Action City. Looking for your voice to be heard? Have a passion and want to share it with those of a common mindset? Have a business or brand that needs to get the word out but don't know where to advertise? Contact Blacken Studios, a full-spectrum, cutting-edge podcast studio that services clients from all over the country. Blacken Studios offers you more than just a podcast. 
we offer you an experience. In-house production from audio video recording, editing, marketing, advertisement, and exposure with over thousands of people listening weekly. Black & Studios doesn't hesitate to back local businesses. So when you want your voice heard, Black & Studios has your back. Search Black & Studios on all social platforms. Email at podcast at blackandstudios.com or visit us at blackandstudios.com. And remember, it's Blackin. Jeremiah. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Action City. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I know. Thanks We're so excited you're here. We saw Likewise. you in July. Was yeah, it? at Roche. June. Wait, end, June? End, end of, of June. June. Oh, right. End of June. End of June. Yes. You're right, because it was before we went July to Colorado. 5th. Oh, I don't yeah. know why I remember that. <laughs> That's right. July 5th was the closing date. Doing, <laughs> oh, Emmy, doing was the homework. Sad, was that a sad day? I know you worked on that for a long I, time. I was, I, yes, I was out of town. It was a bittersweet to Was that on purpose? Did you go out of town on purpose no, so you didn't just, have to see it all come down? It, it just worked out that way. <laughs> uh, but yes, it was a wonderful exhibition, and I was working on it for about four years. It was a tremendous opportunity to get to know both Ed and a lot of his folks at the studio really yeah. well. and. Uh, it was an honor to be a part of it. So yeah, I was sad to see it go, but that's the nature of what we do. We yeah. are a Kunsthalle model, which means we rotate the art. We don't have a collection. It comes in, it goes out. That's what Say we that do. Say that again, a Kunst what? It's a German word that yeah. just means literally art hall. Art hall. Okay. So yeah. in contrast to- Like a food to, hall, but for art. Right. In a contrast to uh, a typical museum- <laughs> it's all about food, I mean. <laughs> that ha- you know, f- absolutely. Food is culture. It's why we're all here. Uh, Catherine just takes the food thing all, all, all the time. <laughs> Everything reverts back to food. So I'm sorry we're interrupting I'm all, you. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. I'm with that. No, we'll I go. I can't help myself. We can, we can dive all in on cuisine. I'm happy to talk about that for the next hour instead Actually, of anything else. Actually, I bet else. he could school you on food. I know you could. You Clearly, your knowledge I, yeah, is way deeper say, on you, every subject than mine. Our warm-up, we were talking about Craig's LA, and he was just like talking about the menu, and I was like, oh gosh, this is Catherine's match as far as like, <laughs> a food. I don't even want to call you a foodie because I feel like you're that's like not even that would like diminish your level of knowledge you know just don't call me late for dinner and that's that's fine (laughs) my i did have a leg up because i grew up on a farm yeah i want to and my dad was a chef so i learned a lot with you know about food and cooking from my father and also about farming because he was doing really weird stuff starting in the 70s way ahead of the trends that are now ubiquitous, growing heritage varieties of vegetables organically and selling them directly to restaurants and that, you know, goat yogurt. Let's let's do go back to the beginning now. So so where are you from? I'm originally from Skytook, Oklahoma. Right. Which is where? Give me some location. Skytook is in Osage County. Actually, the town of Skytook borders Tulsa County and some of it is in Tulsa County. Um, in the the northern part of the county, um, and Osage County is a huge county. It's the largest one in the state, so it's fairly big. Skytook is kind of just inside of the county, um, on the south eastern side of the county. Um, How so many stoplights are in Skytook? When I was growing up, there was uh, there were two traffic lights, and there was one yellow flashing light on the turn to Javine Hill, which is uh, where I, where we would turn off and go a few miles to rural farm where we, my brother is actually living out there now. He moved back to Oklahoma. So really? Davis, Davis's are back in Osage County after many, many years. And then Tulsa as well. Grew up in Tulsa. Uh, my mom still lives in the house where we grew up. Uh, we moved there for the school system when I was a kid. So, uh, and then I left Tulsa when I was 18. So that was, I haven't lived there since. 
Guy well, so your dad was a chef. Yes. How did he? You end up on a farm in Skytook. Well, he grew up on this on the same farm. Okay. So um, I don't know how far we want to go back here. But my father, <laughs> uh, born in Tulsa, also Hillcrest Hospital, same as me. My mother is not from Oklahoma. They met. That's a long story. In Florida, got married quickly. Somehow he convinced her to move <laughs> to Oklahoma to in the, the 1970s, yeah. and she did. Um, so she's not from Florida, but that's just where they happened to meet. Uh, my grandfather was also from Oklahoma. My great-grandfather came to Indian Territory, we think, in the 1880s or 90s, and ran away from home. He oh, was wow. adopted to My a grandfather family. ran away from home to Oklahoma. I think it was a yeah. cool thing to do in, back in the day. Mm-hmm. So uh, he grew up on the farm, and it, you know, it's still... And was in the family's hands. And so that's where they, my parents wanted to raise kids. So is that fourth generation now? Wait, so, third generation? Yes, third generation in my case for, yeah. that the Davises have been on that area. That's amazing. Uh, yes. And the my dad also similarly left Oklahoma and kind of wanted to figure out his own path, became a hippie, moved to San Francisco area. That's where he really got into professional cuisine, cooking, and, and in the restaurant industry. He started a restaurant with a group of friends called the Good Karma Cafe. Where's that? Where was it in San Francisco? Was it in San Francisco? I don't actually know. Okay. So my, my dad died a long time ago. So it's like some of the stuff I've, you, just you know, yeah. I have, we've, it was, if it wasn't written down somewhere, it, it is it is lost to history. I could probably, you know, leverage my research skills and figure this out. I just never it's have. probably on YouTube somewhere. I'm, and San Francisco is, you know, it's about the size of the studio. So it is yeah. not a very, land area wise, it is not a very large city. So, I mean, it, so it was in San Francisco proper? Yeah, the, in, in the, the city of San Francisco, okay, city cool. by the bay. And it was apparently, and, and I, this has been independently verified by some old timers who grew up in that same uh, milieu that, yes, there was this place. They do remember it. And the claim was that it was the first macrobiotic restaurant in San Francisco, which was, you know, all oh the rage for a hot second. So, what's well, the that. rage again, I feel like. Exactly. And then he also uh, opened a restaurant with um, his a wife before my mom and in Kansas City called the Beautiful Day Cafe, which was named after a band and an album, and then had the Cosmic Carrot Cafe in Tulsa when I was a kid. Cosmic Carrot? The Cosmic Carrot Cafe. I love cafe. the names of all yeah, of his restaurants. Say, yeah. this, he was creative. He was creative. That's right. Both my, I'm very fortunate to have creative parents who supported me creatively when I was growing up. Well, it makes up. a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so he was he. You guys moved to Tulsa when you went to school, like first grade. Yeah, uh, uh, first grade at Mars Elementary uh, was okay. Second grade was okay, but the school just wasn't really able to yeah. provide the kind of education that my parents were hoping for. So uh, they were like, "We gotta get this kid somewhere else." And so that was the move to Tulsa, where I went to then Lee School, which is now Council Oak. Okay, okay. and that was. Through high school? No, that's not. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Carver Middle School. Okay. And Booker T. Oh, okay. Okay. I know. Yep. And you have one brother. One brother, two sisters. Oh. So oh, where are you, you in the line? So, I'm sort of in the middle, but also sort of the oldest because I'm the first child of my mother's, but the third child of my father's. So they're my half sisters, but we're so you, you know get we grew up as a family. Both. Yes. So I had I and they were eight and ten years older than me. So I was kind of like a fun project. So they dress me up and put makeup on me and stuff. And so that, <laughs> that's it what was we did very, to my brother too. Yeah. So it was a very different relationship as a kid when I because they were so much older. 
Uh, my brother is four years younger than me. So I've got a sister in Kansas. I have a sister in Oregon. My brother was in New York and then Virginia with his wife, and now they've moved back to Oklahoma. So now there's the Davis brothers are back in Oklahoma. So trouble <laughs> is brewing. That, it does sound like trouble. So what was it like kind of transitioning from farm life to then moving to Tulsa? The biggest difference I remember was not being able to sleep at night because of the traffic noise. Oh, like those noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, my mom yeah. lives uh, on 29th off of Peoria. It's not particularly loud. It's a well-insulated house. You know, I don't notice it anymore, but I couldn't go to sleep from the noise of the the city street. I was used to cicadas, crickets, bullfrogs, tree frogs. That That was the cadence that I was used to. That was the soundtrack of the country. Uh, so moving to the city was that was the biggest transition, and it was very different adjusting to a new school system. Of course, that's true wherever when kids that age move, it's it's always an adjustment. Um, so that was the biggest difference. But we still went out to the farm, so I had the this little city life, and then I had the country life, and, and we kind of balanced those two. Yeah. So, gr- growing up, were you what were your interests? What did you what did you like? Were you always interested in Arts. art and things that were creative and mm-hmm. food and music and mm-hmm. pop culture, as we learned earlier? Yes. Um, fairly omnivorous culturally and um, academically. I read a lot when I was a kid. I also played a lot outside. Uh, yes, my parents encouraged me to, to do arts. I took some art classes when I was really little before I was in, really in school and then gravitated early toward theater and performing arts and music. Um, but also did a lot of visual art too. That was one of my favorite classes when we were in. At, we had a great teacher, Miss Pauling, at then Lee <sighs> School, who was just such a tremendous teacher. She had years of classroom experience, and the school had a great art program. There was a kiln, so we had we could do ceramics. Nice. We did all kinds of different media, printmaking, watercolor. And this was like drawing. in fourth grade, like yeah, what? starting in second grade. We had um, well, no, second grade we did have arts, but it was incorporated into homeroom. What they used to call traveling, where you'd go to oh, like specials or yeah. whatever. Yeah, you kind of you'd went have around to, you'd have yeah. subject teachers, and you'd ha- you'd still have your homeroom, which was primarily social studies and English, and then you'd go to the science class and um, the math class. We had two separate classes. We had art class, which was primarily the visual arts, and then we had music and theater. So, and that was this is public school, you know. God. It, it in the, in, like in, in the 1990s, this yes. is you know this is not right. This is not that long ago, and there was there was value placed on a cultural education and creativity, artistic expression, and you know even all of my friends loved Miss Pauling's class, and including the friends who were hardcore into soccer as well, and were you know were doing what was called classic soccer. I don't think they call it that anymore. I don't know why it was called what was classic, not classic soccer. soccer. Uh, I, so back in the day, soccer is an expensive sport. Elementary school teams don't typically field soccer teams. At least they didn't back in the day. So if you wanted to participate, you'd have to go to these leagues. And gotcha. so, and they were highly competitive and selective. Oh, classic and, soccer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, I'm like, this is totally. Oh, gotcha. As opposed yeah. to not classic. Like, like As opposed to like futsal. Gotcha. Like okay. Cla- right. I gotcha. But they used to right. call it classic. I'm like, yeah. this is all this is, This is all and coming it was, back. And it was, uh, for some reason, there were all these uh, formerly professional European right. players who had moved to Oklahoma and they were the coach. I mean, it was... It was intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was hardcore. Like gymnastics in that era where there were just a lot of... There were a lot of people focused on it. You oh, know, Shannon, you, Shannon Miller, Miller yeah. was Shannon killing Miller. it. So all these gyms spread it up. And so there, that was one of the sports that was highly popular and also very competitive. I never played, um, except for, you know, in, in the schoolyard. Yeah. But, that's what my parents wouldn't let me do classic because they mm-hmm. didn't want to travel. 
They right. Were, they yeah. were smart. Yeah. It, it, the parents <laughs> have to go all over the place. I yeah, mean, they would. Yeah, yeah, traveling mm-hmm. to multiple states, it's a lot of commitment. But even those kids, the athletes love Miss Pauling's class. So that was an, an area where I'd love to express myself. My mom still has a bunch of framed things that she Aww. wants to give me. Like, I'm not. That's what really my parents cute. just did. Whenever my parents mom. come to my house, they show up with like a stack of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, papers and yeah. old medals and whatever. And I'm like, did you really save this? Report cards. I'm like, it's good. Keep yeah, it. I, yeah I recently got a bunch of my old artwork. My mom's yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, don't you want to keep this?" I'm like, "For who?" Yeah, <laughs> like it was like, <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. So I mean, the stuff that's framed, I'm like, "Well, I guess I should hang on to this." I don't know. So you can put it in the um, bathroom, maybe. That's yeah. how my parents so decorated like the upstairs was like framing our artwork. So I'm like, "That's yeah. really sweet." You it's know, very and, sweet. And I think but... there's some value there from parents. It's not just they think yeah. their kid's a genius. Their children get to see their artwork framed and respected, uh, you know, and so I, I think that's cool for oh, that's for an kids to be able way to, to look at it, right? For kids to be able to see their own work on view that you might have in a museum or something. That's really cool. Okay, now that you say it like that, you better get to work at me because oh, I missed gosh. the boat on that deal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have my so kids' much. artworks like in a giant. They would come home with like a giant folder, you know, mm-hmm. that was like yeah, yeah. When oh, it's yeah. all in there, stuffed yeah. in there. Maybe I shouldn't. At Camp Contemporary, we we do our best not to send home too much stuff. So when Thank we you. when we have camps because we know that is that's an issue, but we do sometimes classes and we do let yeah. we do let the parents or caregivers know when they're signing up this is the thing. So you're not going to get a piece of paper every single day right. when your kids not come every home. day. No. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot. It's like a piece of pizza that he made out of. You know what I mean? It's like they're all like their hand. Theme-y. That's a turkey. Yes, lots. Of that's hands. always craft. lots of hands yes. and craft. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh, a lot of craft. Yeah. Okay, so. High school, you yeah. graduate from high school, mm-hmm. and then what happens? I move away. That was part of my plan. Pretty early on, I realized that what I wanted to do was pursue art in some capacity, and I didn't really see Oklahoma as a place that was would really embrace my goals and passions at that time. So I went to Bennington College in Vermont. Wait a minute, small wait a liberal minute. Arts How school. did you get from the farm and right. Tulsa yep. to Vermont? I mean. I think that's even... There's, there's other I twists think, coming, Catherine. Okay, good. I'm so excited. Because I think even now, we don't send a lot of people to Vermont no. from Oklahoma for college. The people who knew about uh, Bennington when I was in high school were always women who were in their mid-70s or older. <laughs> and they so many of them would remark upon me telling them either where I had matriculated or where I was planning to attend. Oh, I wanted to go to Bennington. Oh, so Bennington but started I had in to the take 30s. The train. <laughs> yeah, Bennington started in the 30s as a women's college and as a new model for women's education that was student-centered, really embraced collaboration, blurred the boundaries between disciplines, encouraged experimentation, and that's sort of the DNA of the college, and it continues to express itself to this day. Although it's been co-educational for a long time now, I think How'd the 1970s. Find- yeah, who helped yeah. you find this? School? A friend. In high school, uh, who was three years older, went to Bennington. So I visited her. Um, I also fell in love with this girl. It had something to do with me going to Bennington. That didn't work out. <laughs> that happened to me too. Yeah, Don't worry. yeah happens. We've happens. All been there. Well, there's, there, this happened a few times in my life. So um, that really precipitated my interest, and I also wanted to attend a place where I didn't have to be locked into a single field of study. I was passionate about philosophy and even in high school, political science, the humanities, uh, classics, as well as art, culture, theater. So I wanted to find a place where I could pursue an education that would allow me to focus on those disparate, seemingly disparate interests. And Bennington was one of those places. They have um, every student has to design their own academic plan 
that gets approved through a committee process. Oh, so wow. you chart so it's, your you don't own just course. like sign up for a major before you get there, like you no. do at OU. <clears throat> no, and, and it, you create your own. You create your own major, and it's subject to an approval process. Right. So it's not like the loonies right. are running the loony bin. You have professors who are on a committee and an advisor, and they they shepherd you through this process. So what that means is each student gets the opportunity to be an architect of their own educational experience. Um, it is not the same as, okay, this is our degree program. It's 120 hours. You have to satisfy X, Y, and Z. Right. You must take these classes. There's a little more leeway. So for students who are highly motivated and invested in their own education, it's a great model. I was going to say, I would have never gone to class. Yeah. For, for <laughs> like, students oh, sounds a little dangerous students for me. who are, are curious but don't really know what they're interested in, it can be a struggle because there's so right. much of an onus on the individual student to craft their own journey academically that it and some people transfer out it's not right for them but for the students who can really commit to it and can endure the most mostly monastic lifestyle that it can support because you're in rural vermont you know winters are harsh i was Um, gonna say did you visit this girl in january i visited (laughs) spring (laughs) yeah spring september i visited (laughs) in the fall one year and i visited march in another year well march is probably still cold march was cold when i visited in march that was when i had an interview uh when i visited in march of my senior year there were like two feet of snow on the ground you're like this is so different well i was like it got dark at like four well i thought yeah exactly i was like i love winter so I thought when I left Oklahoma, it's cute. People complain, oh, winters are so harsh here. Yes, it's not like summer. Well, this year was weird. This is this was, yes. a, this was a harsh winter yes. by Oklahoma standards. But Vermont, that's, that's normal. It's like Tuesday. Yeah. So um, that was – took some getting used to. There My are no first, snow days, in, no, no, right? No. I mean, they go to school no matter what um, I I think when I was there, there may have been – one or two days where they close because the professors might not live on campus. And right. so they couldn't, you know, there were times where it, it was, but yeah, they get to work immediately. I mean, but they have infrastructure because it happens right. all they the time. They have people to plow their driveways yeah. and, you know. Yeah. So that's a, a totally different way of, of living with winters. It's, they're used to it. New England has figured it out. They're not going to let them stop them from going to work in school. Uh, but yeah, it was, it took me, I was depressed that spring. I was, yeah. There was one nice day in March. I'm like, oh, great. Spring's here. Wrong. Wow. Wrong. Yeah. So noted May. That was fun. Mm-hmm. So then I, I got to Oklahoma and had the best summer of my life. I was like, oh, my God, it's warm outside. This is amazing. My best friend from high school went to Hamilton College. Sure. And had a very, like, I was like, spring break, like, whatever. Yeah. And she's like, I think she was a little depressed. Yeah. <laughs> Did she stay all four years? Uh-huh. Yeah. It was, but similar. Like, sure. Hamilton you know, she, is a similar Yeah, approach. it's like a di- she had the down jacket that touched her ankles. Yep. Like, it was just a totally different. That's yeah. where I first experienced my eyes being cold. Cold. My yeah. eyes themselves. Like in the back of your they eyeballs. Were, they were gets, freezing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so serious. you stay all four years. I do, yeah. And what did you craft your major yeah, to what be? Was what? It? Social science and theater. And so what that was for me was a mixture of philosophy, international relations, uh, political science, anthropology, history. And then on the theater side... Uh, there was some acting, some dramaturgy, some directing, some writing. Um, so understanding multiple different disciplines within that discipline of theater. Because theater is, is interdisciplinary by nature because you have writers, designers, you have performers, directors, technicians. There are a lot of different fields that are required, musicians, to be able to put on a, a 
production of any kind. The finance right. people. Yeah. Somebody keeps the books. 100%. Somebody producers. raises the money. Somebody. I, yeah. I never really realized that about about theater. You never think about how that piece of it happens. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. So and, what was your goal? Like when you graduated, you were like, I'm using this degree to do. Like what did you. What was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the path, <laughs> like were you um, wanting to be an actor in no. a theater well when I was a kid but not oh, yeah. by, by the time I, I had gone through my college experience I knew enough from both the professors that were there and because they were all working professionals every and in, every instructor at Bennington has to be practicing oh wow so okay. um, th- they're not just ensconced in the ivory tower and writing theoretical missives about whatever the discipline is, they're doing the work, whatever that happens to be. So the theater faculty were all doing work. They were directing productions, designing productions, acting in productions, whatever their skill set was, they were doing that those things. So uh, no, at that time, I was, I was interested in uh, pursuing a career in culture and in art making, but I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. I thought film and television was a potential path. Uh, I didn't want to move to New York like a lot of people do, which is for, for a career in theater. It's one of the best places to move right. in, in the world. But I didn't want to do that. Uh, but anyway, so I didn't move to New York. I moved to Istanbul. So I, okay. I lived in Turkey for a few years afterward. I was teaching there. I was teaching at an international school in Turkey. That's my first. Did that's my first job. They come to Bennington and recruit. How did no. you end up in this? Is this another no. girl? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. I was like, there I has to be a so, reason. Um, my partner in college uh, was from Turkey, and so I, she had, she was taking care of some family um, things. Her aunt, grandparents were getting older. She wanted to be closer to them, but her plan was to move back to Turkey for a year and then do graduate studies in social psychology in the United States, and so. I was like, well, if, then she decided to stay and pursue a, a, a master's before eventually successfully um, earning her PhD back in the States. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Turkey for a while. Let's, well, let's figure it out. You know, I was 22. I was like, well, how hard can it be? Yeah. Well, it was really hard. But I was glad because I wouldn't do it now, but I'm glad when I was 22. I was like, well, when you're 22, you're stupid enough it. to do stuff like let's that. Make it work. And yeah. you're never going to do it again. No, so you might no, as well. No. Yeah. Um, I could see myself living abroad again, but I would not the way that. I just showed up in the country. And that also indicates the great privilege we have yeah. as Americans carrying an, a, a passport from the United States. You know, I just showed up. What did you do every day? So when I first showed up, I had tried to get a job. I had gotten a certification for teaching English as a foreign language. So I, I tried to apply for a bunch of stuff. I mostly didn't hear word one. I later learned that they don't want to hire people outside the country because it's more expensive. So oh. because they end up having to pay your, your moving expenses and... There's additional visa requirements that have to get covered. So I didn't get any bites. I landed in the country, s- tried to make some calls, uh, and I got three interviews within a week. And it was right before, you know, this was, like I moved in August. So school year starts basically what end year? of August. It's 2005. Okay. And I f- eventually got several job offers, and I took one that seemed like the best. It was at a, an international school that was part of this under the same foundation that supports Robert College, which is the best high school in, in Turkey. Has been for many years. It was originally founded in, uh, by Americans in the 19th century. Um, so it was called Hisar Eitem Vakfa Okolara, which means the, founda- the Hisar Foundation School. So 
uh, taught, started teaching there, seventh grade, which didn't go well. I was not a great seventh grade teacher. <laughs> the seventh graders I, didn't appreciate you? Um, Come on. <laughs> I, well, what I learned is it's really when you're dealing with seventh graders, I was told this in so many words and I didn't listen. And This is my version, not the version that was told to me. It's really like prison. So your first day, you have to go and you have to break a kid's leg or stab him with a pencil in the neck. Otherwise, they don't respect you. And I didn't do that. And I thought, you know what? I'm ob- I'm so for, nice for, for the action for the action city listeners, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> no angry emails. Don't aggregate this. Amy and I, do, I have to say I that a lot. Do not advocate here. violence against. We children. actually like haven't been saying it recently though, and we've been saying some things. I'm like, I hope people know we're kidding. Yeah, caveat oh, here. Yeah. So, so. but I, I thought I had a lot of experience as a camp counselor. I had done that. I had done um, some mentorship of kids when I was in college. So I had a lot of experience working with younger people, and I thought I got this. You guys don't. I don't have to be that. But they were like, you need to be hard. You need to really focus on discipline. And this is a very common mistake that first year classroom teachers make. So this is not, you know, I. Me and everybody else had to go through this. So that, that didn't work out well. But the the class that I taught uh, with the prep group, so those are students who are coming into high school that would be in ninth grade, but their English wasn't up to the level to complete the majority of their classes in English. So they have a year where they focus intensely on English language acquisition, and then they can go to the regular It's like repeating program. kindergarten, but yeah. before high school. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and focused on language specifically because the, this was a, a school that most of the classes are taught in English. So you, your, English has, be, yeah. your yeah. English has to be there. You yeah. can't compete. I mean, that is so tough. Like, I have so much admiration for other countries when you're basically forced to learn English. Oh, yeah. Like, I am terrible with languages. I wish somebody had forced me to learn a language. Right? That's how you, you know have mean? to do it. It, yeah. it, it, it requires... A culture of support for language acquisition, which we don't really have don't in the United States. No, we don't. They don't well, encourage it. Our last the last people we interviewed, the We and C girls, they have mm-hmm. French and Spanish. Yeah, um, their company where they teach people. But I was like, yeah, I was never told like you have to learn this. So yeah. I can't imagine like being in Turkey and being like you have to learn English. The, the, it's very different all over the the world, but in in Europe and in places like Turkey, you start young. So yeah. a lot of a lot of places they begin the language acquisition process in kindergarten or first grade. And so That's then it's what, easy. Yeah. That's when the it's the best time to learn a language. Your brain is primed for exactly that exercise. And it doesn't matter what the language is, right. you can get you just it done. Need a second one and then you can get the third one and the fourth Once one. Once you, you just... understand grammar, which is the structure of language, language acquisition becomes much easier. Because you can understand the structure, like what is a noun, what is a verb, and so that just that, and, and you don't you n- you never get to that point of understanding grammar and structure if you don't learn a language as a grown person. Right. If you just acquire the language, you naturally yeah, you understand never, right. you yeah. how understand how it all fits Wait, together. Wait, what language do they Turkish. speak? Turkish. Turkish. Oh, duh. Yeah. I feel so silly. So, did you learn Turkish? I did, and, okay. and I became proficient in the language. I could carry on conversations. Had you? Did you speak another language other than English before you got? I studied to French. My okay. grandmother's from France. And so oh. I, I grew up hearing French. My great-grandmother mostly spoke French, although by the time I was around, she'd lived so long in the U.S., it was Franglais at that point, so a mixture of the two languages. Uh, so I was exposed to a lot of French uh, and learned some French in high school. I, I got to the point where I was also able to converse a little bit and get around. I was never fluent. Um, so I understood the fundamentals of building blocks of language, which was helpful. And then in Turkish, it was an immersive environment, which is the best you way to learn a language. Yeah, I had no choice. Perfect. Yeah, I had to figure it out. So, yeah. um, and I, I got, uh, yeah, I was a, after about a year, I was able to, to get around. By the, my second year, I was feeling pretty confident I could do 
everything by myself and so you know, did get you around. come back to the u.s yes i returned to the states to pursue graduate school what happened to the girl in turkey we uh we broke up i was gonna say Catherine, they have a lot of love and respect well, for her I know. It she's an amazing like woman is she still in turkey so no she, oh she, she came back to the united states um, eventually. i believe I, I haven't i haven't spoken with her in a long time but uh, the last time that we connected she had completed her PhD, and she uh, got a professorship in Georgia University. So, um, and she also has a has a music career with her now husband. They they have a a band. So, Catherine, we don't have to make him regale all of his exes. I know, but I do think it's sort of interesting. <laughs> okay. My I, wife's not going to listen to this. No, it's funny. but I, I think that you. But my parents gave me such a hard time for kind of when I say like following, following boys boy, around. Yeah. But I did a lot of things I might not otherwise have done. Mm-hmm. Without sure. that component, no, I and agree. I do think yeah. like you would never have ended up in Turkey. No. So this relationship really provided you sort of a life experience you never would have had. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing anything without multiple women in my life. <laughs> um, That's not fair. just romantic partners, but many, yeah. you know, siblings and friends, and and my mother, you know, my grandmother. Also, living in a different culture, I had a lot more respect for my grandmother and what she went. Yeah, through. because yeah. she was an immigrant. You know, she came to this country as a, as a kid. I think she was nine, maybe, um, but. That's a hard thing to do. So um, I, I gained a lot of appreciation for the path that she walked, which I didn't, I hadn't thought about it, right. you know, until I, I myself became an immigrant um, in a different culture, different language, different society. Um, beautiful city. Turkey is an amazing place. I encourage anybody who's interested to visit. Beautiful f- food. It, it's the, the it's a rich history. It has been a cultural capital. It has been a major global powerhouse uh, for millennia. And there are layers and layers and layers of culture there. If people have ever visited a place like Rome, it's very similar, but but older. It's even I was going to say, it's Rome. probably old. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, but I moved back to the States. Um, Where'd you go to graduate school? Columbia in New York. Nice. So I moved to New so York. Wait, I thought you, were, you said you weren't going to move to New York. Right. Well, I changed my mind. You change your, we can well, change our by, minds. By the time, you know. You got to understand, I was in Tulsa. I didn't think I liked cities. Tulsa is a city, but it's. If you don't like the sounds of a city, New York is definitely. And probably Istanbul is not Sort of a country boy. And then Bennington is this very bucolic place and the Green Mountains. Well, yeah, but Istanbul. Well, trial by fire. That's a shock to the system. You know, whatever it was. Not only is that. 15 million people. Is it bigger than New York City? Oh, yeah. By a a lot. I can't imagine. Because, like, Istanbul has, like, the public transpo there. Great, actually. Better now. So when I was there. It's you know there's there is now an autocratic regime in place, uh, which is unfortunate, and that's that's not quite as safe as it probably was. When I, you were I, there. Honestly, I think for Americans, it's fine. I have a colleague of mine, Narciso Aguilas. Shout out Narciso, who is the he founded the Oklahoma Latino Cultural Center. He's oh, an cool. art educator and artist. He's teaching at Robert College now. He's been there for a couple of years. Oh my god! And I just saw him recently. He's back in Oklahoma, and he's going back for another year at least um, to keep teaching. And he's had a lovely time. So I mean, I think. If yeah. you are, you know, it's not, um, it is not like what you read about, quote, Middle Eastern countries. It's not Syria. It does have an right. organized military. It has civil society. Uh, but it, it has been eliminating f- things like freedom of speech and civil liberties uh, over the last 20 years under the Erdogan regime. So, you know, people who are in education or in culture, they're subject to a lot, certainly media, a lot more censorship than previously. They they were. It was much, I think, a much freer society when I was there. But I haven't been. So, I, you know, I'm, I but still keep track. tourist-wise, you're just saying there's a, like – I don't think it's yeah. a problem. Gotcha. Okay. I would trust the State Department. If the State Department says you shouldn't go, probably, you know, unless you're some sort of an expert, you shouldn't go. But for Turkey, I think 
You're okay. So, yeah, it's totally yeah. fine. So, so New York was yeah. probably easy when you got there. By the time, yeah, yeah, after after Istanbul, I kind of cured myself of this agoraphobia. <laughs> I don't I didn't really have agoraphobia, but I just didn't dig on crowds really. I was, you know. Used, I, I mean, we're, right? yeah. yeah. But then New York, New York, you shape the city and the city shapes you. And so I, I got really accustomed to crowds. And if you tap into that energy and become a conduit for the amazing energy that's in a city like New York, it buoys you. You can get through the day and, and be inspired to, to get through the next day. So... I became a New Yorker, which I never thought would happen. Uh, but I eventually didn't really realize that until I moved here. I was like, "Oh, well, yeah, that's I'm still still a country boy, but it's a little bit different." Um, so yeah, I was there for three years in the Columbia program in dramaturgy. And dramaturgy is for your listeners um, a discipline and within me. theater. Yes, yeah. it's too. <laughs> I was say um, it just it's another German. For, we were talking about Kunsthalles earlier. Right. It's another German word. It just it literally means theater work. Um, and it is uh, the theory, the practice, the poetics of theater performance from page to stage. So it's similar in, in many ways to a curatorial art historical education. You're learning about history. You're learning about practitioners through the ages. You're learning a variety of different disciplines. So you're understanding how the various different media and artistic training fit together in, a, in these total works of art that often theater productions are. Um, you see a lot of producers with a background in dramaturgy because they understand the structures and the systems of how say, things I work. Think, yeah, there's a girl who went to my high school who was a producer in Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. And I think that this I this That's is like ringing a bell. Many, many yeah. people who end up producing will have this kind of training so that's what i mean not that everything has a career path right i've been assuming in graduate school so this was the career path is produce being coming up a producer yeah well so i mean obviously you're in a different field now but right i mean to me it's all the same i i I, the more that i studied art the more connections i saw across disciplines and the fewer barriers right i I saw so I, i have a different understanding of how art operates and what it means and what it is and then people who might have erect rigid boundaries between something like painting and sculpture and poetry or dance i think there's there's really a there's a shared dna of expression that exists through all those and i, I respect craft and i respect the skills that it, and mastery required to execute at a high level on any single of those disciplines but i think the ideas that go into the making the observations that go into the making they're really similar across disciplines so um, to me it makes sense and my conversations with artists, regardless of their discipline, they're yeah. we're all we, we have a shared set of references, shared set of of historical knowledge and and theoretical knowledge, and so it doesn't matter the discipline. I can really vibe with anybody. Uh, well, I, when I applied to grad school, I didn't know. I knew that I was passionate about a lot of different things, and I thought, okay, well, let me just apply to a variety of of things and see what goes down. So I applied to law school just for fun. <laughs> just because why not? Took the LSAT in Munich because they weren't administering the LSAT in Turkey at the time. So flew to Munich to take the LSAT. That was fun. Uh, I also applied to political philosophy programs, and then I only applied to two universities for dramaturgy because I didn't want to go. I, if I was going to do that and pursue more of my passion, I wanted to make sure that it was at one of the best schools. Yeah. So I applied to Yale and Columbia, and I didn't get into Yale, but I got into Columbia. Um, got a great fellowship there. Uh, met a lot of people. Still, I'm in touch with a lot of my professors and friends and also colleagues, people that I've worked with time and time again that we went to graduate school together. So that bore a lot of fruit. It took some time for me to realize it, but bore a lot of fruit. At the time, the program was in transition when I applied, and the previous cohorts had had been in the tutelage of a professor who was really well-connected in 
the film and television industry. So a lot of the people who were coming out of that program ended up working on in a either a management or a producing capacity um, in film and TV. Is that one of the reasons you chose that program because one it of the had reasons. that reputation? Y- yes, because my thinking was, okay, it's really hard to make a buck in theater, right? As as yeah. the as the now unless you're in Ham- unless you're a part of Hamilton and then you're fine. And that or so, Dear Evan Hansen. So or Dear Evan Hansen. For, for, but even then for your listeners, uh, you're never gonna do a Hamilton. That's it's just never not, gonna be that, that's an outlier. Um, it is a smash. It is it is like Star Wars and that it is not Star Wars isn't a film. It isn't a series of films. It is a cultural and economic phenomenon. phenomenon yeah. And the same with Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton yeah. So uh, Loveland Mountain World, it's, Miranda, it's fascinating. Um, produ- I've seen the production. It's great. And that just doesn't happen. There's very, mm-hmm. there's very few examples of that. More often than not, th- the show never gets to Broadway. If it does, it closes after a few shows. That's, really? Oh, yeah. Um, the majority of, of Broadway shows lose money. Um, and Broadway is, it, it is not as esoteric as people might think. It really just means... In a set specific geographic area of Midtown Manhattan, right. there is a theater that is over 650 seats, and it is governed by the unions under Broadway contracts. That's what Broadway is. It's a mix of commercial producers, meaning they're trying to make a buck, and not-for-profit theaters that are just like Oklahoma Contemporary. They are charities, 501c3s. Um, but that's just – it's a designation really of just what the yeah, theater like, itself, the house is. Um, so I – I had these different paths, these different pursuits. Dramaturgy was one that I thought would get me to a point where I could make some money in film and TV, but then also pursue my own passions without having to worry about generating revenue from live theater, which is exceedingly difficult. Um, and of course, when I was in graduate school, the financial collapse happened. Oh, yeah, crash. 2008, yeah. <laughs> so my, my professors went from telling me, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's all good, you're going to get a job. That old chestnut. Yeah. To, um, <laughs> well, it, yes, the economic impacts are yeah. real, real, and there, there are, companies are contracting and folding. It's a challenge, but you know, you'll figure it out It'll, uh, eventually. And two, why did you ever think you'd have a job? <laughs> what, what a presumption. So that was rough. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, but the benefit now, the benefit was I did a lot of things I wouldn't have otherwise done. So I met a lot of people I wouldn't have met. I did a lot of different type this of work. This was in New York? Mm-hmm. So I was still doing, I was still making art. I was involved in a lot of different projects I was teaching. And to pay the bills, I was doing things like rigging, carpentry, electrics, eventually started doing some technical direction. Were you in the union in New York? No. How did you get around that? Um, there's a lot of I'm surprised of non- you didn't get your fingers cut off if you were doing electrical lot, I, and not in the union. I know it. I know it. Well, I had training. It's, you know, I, I grew up on a farm. And not then, like by the people who were in the union, not by, oh, right. not by an accident. You know, here's, here's the thing. Local, <laughs> local one is the uh, IATSE stagehand union, and they get a lot of flack, but I've had great experience working with local one guys. Many of them are fifth generation union guys. Right. So they know what they're doing. There's a lot of pride in what they do. And they're paid really well for it. It's a, it's a difficult job. So how I always approached it in a union house, and most of the houses are, are you don't have – it's non-union. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to be part of a union to, to be a technician. But on Broadway, it's all it's a union shop. And some houses, like if you – if you have a card from some other local, they don't care. If you're not local one, you don't touch anything. Interesting. Um, 
But I always had great experience with the guys. And because I didn't show up and be like, I know what's going on. You don't. I'm smarter than you. I, I showed respect and deference. And they showed it right back to me. So I, I always had a good experience working with the local one guys. I think that's a good, uh, that's a good lesson for any mm-hmm. job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And, and they, you know, they, maybe they had something to teach me. And they had some valuable lessons that I could come away with. So Frank, who I hope he still runs um, the uh, Avery Fisher Hall at Lincoln Center, I went in there a couple times and for various jobs, mostly that because the money isn't the corporate side. You know, the, the money for you get it's pennies on the dollar compared to corporate. The rates are much better. Like so corporate, you're talking like Disney Lion King or, or like no, um, specifically like conferences, meetings, oh, I you know, gotcha. because they're if you've ever been to a big conference, the Javits Center. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have lights. They have oh, stages. Oh, okay, they have okay, sound. Okay, gotcha. They have talent. And right, so right, you, right. You, it's it's the same work. The art sucks, but yeah. <laughs> but the, the 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 techniques and the fundamentals are the same. So, um, and the because you're you know you're, because your client your end client is American Express or AMC or uh, BlackRock, you know they have money. So right. that means that all of the technicians are getting appropriately paid instead of you know scraping the bottom of the barrel from not for profit New York theater. But Frank, my brother actually reported this to me. Not Frank, my brother also for a time was working as a stagehand in New York. And he said, you know, if everyone who comes in here conducted themselves like your brother, I wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> and I'm really proud of that. You know, that Frank, Frank at Lincoln Center is like, this guy's okay. So Frank That's the Lincoln Oklahoma Center. upbringing, I think. The Oklahoma standard totally. has something yeah, to do with it, for sure. I do think it does. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC. Or for business inquiries, email us at hello at actioncityokc.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll. <laughs>